listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, you said in your word that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished under every good work. Father, you said in your word that the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Father, we thank you that your word tells us that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Your word also tells us that there is no creature hidden from your sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Father, you said in your word that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We thank you, Lord, that the word of God is pure, and you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. Father, you said in your word that you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make us to know wisdom. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. Salt and light. Salt and light. The Lord mentioned these two things because that's what uh, the Lord wants his believers to become. It is true even today that he wants us to be salt and light in the earth. And with these two things in mind, we see that Jesus gives an emphasis on the fact that if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Has, in, in other words, has anybody ever tried to resalt what it claims to be salt? And we all know that that can't happen. Once it loses its flavor, it is impossible for that salt to be seasoned again. So what does Jesus say? He says it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In other words, it is, it is no longer worth any value and the only thing that you could do with salt that has lost its flavor is to throw it out. And let it be trampled underfoot by men. Jesus also said that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But look at what Jesus is saying here. I think that, the thing, I think that this, is, this is very important. Very, very important that we see what Jesus is saying. Jesus said you are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, just picture this. Picture a city set on a hill. Now, during the daytime, you can see this city. So there is no need for for any light except that which comes from the sun to determine that that's a city. But how many of you ever went and flew over certain cities, especially New York City? When I remember uh, when uh, in 1980, um, I was going to uh, boot camp in um, in Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. I was going to uh, boot camp. Uh, we call it Great Lakes, but those in the Navy would say Great Mistakes. And um, it was my first flight, the first time that I ever got on an airplane to fly, so I was very excited. You, you go into a different part of the city, so the only way to get there expeditiously is to fly by airplane. So they gave us our, our uh, airplane tickets. We had our orders in our military jacket uh, to arrive at uh, Great Lakes, Illinois. And so we took a bus from the AFI station here in Brooklyn, New York, Fort Hamilton, took a ride up to up the, uh, the Belt Parkway to uh, JFK. And it took a while for everything to take place because I just thought you just get on the plane and go. But I didn't know that you had to wait a while because certain flights have to come and then you take that plane after it has don't, don't gone through its cycle. So got on the airplane and I had a window seat. It wasn't that crowded on the airplane, so I, I, I had a window seat. And for the very first time after we took off, I saw the city and I saw the light and I said, wow, this is tremendous. I, I never seen New York City from the air. So I was very excited as a young, impressionable 18 year old uh, flying over the city and the city was Apparent. You could see the silhouette of Brooklyn. You could see the silhouette of Manhattan. You could see uh, Queens. You could see the neighboring state of New Jersey. All the bridges and the cars and the lights. It was just incredible. But the further we got away, it got dark. And I said, where are the lights? Cause, because in, in, the, in my imagination, I thought that it's like it's light all the way. You could see every city all the way. Not so. There were certain places where you flew over where you can't really see the city or the lights. They had, or they had no lights, like in my neck of the woods, we don't have street lights in, in certain places. So you can't discern whether or not a city is there. But when the lights come on, you could discern that there's a city there because where a city is, people are. So in the daytime, it's not like that because you don't need the, 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 uh, the lights that come on at night to turn on in the daytime so you can see that it's a city because the sun is its light. But at nighttime, in order for you to know whether or not there's a city, of course you will have signs and things, I get that. But generally speaking, you, when the lights come on, the city is there. So I'm picturing what Jesus is saying is that when a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, he is literally telling us that the world is dark and the only city that you see is us. And that, I said, now this, this makes sense because if, if, if people don't see the light they won't know that a city is there. If the world doesn't see us, then we're not there. It's, it's, in other words, that area, that place is dark. And so now we can get the understanding of the fact that when we hide our light, it's dark. It's dark out there. People can't, people can't see without light. In the days where I used to drive at night, it, 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 I mean, it's one of the things I really don't like to do, but sometimes when I drive at night, it's, it's always uh, for, the, for the purpose of, of avoiding driving during the day because during the day, more people 
when uh, are driving out there but at night you know pretty much nobody is driving so that's pretty much the best time because you pretty much got the road to yourself but you need lights to see and if you turn off the light you will not be able to see where you're going and so that's where we are spiritually speaking the world is dark out there and the only light that is there is us the true believers in Christ and that's why Jesus said you are the light of the world you are the Lord is calling upon you to shine in this dark world will you shine at the moment you're needed the most by God or will you dim or turn off your light. You see, we're living in incredibly dark times. In fact, if you go over into 2 Timothy, we're going to see how dark this world is. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to see how dark this world is. I've quoted from this and read from this on several occasions. But these things are more pronounced now than at any other time before. 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. But know this that in the last days perilous times will come. The word perilous means dangerous. We're living in dangerous times. Times that we've never seen before where not, not only do sinners uh, are, are more bold in their ability to do darkness but the government that we're supposed to be trusting in is a very dark place for instance let me give you a case in point some of us know and heard that that cocaine was found in the White House I said this last week but the but the uh, Secret Service have have concluded their investigation and can't determine where the cocaine come from. Oh, 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 okay. So, all right. I'm not a detective. I'm not a never been a police officer. Although at one time in the Navy, I served as shore patrol, and that's as close to law enforcement as I'm ever going to get. But but the inquisitiveness of people begin to put two and two together. You don't have to be a police officer Police officer to figure this out. In most places in the White House, there's cameras. And the cocaine that they said that they found was in a bag. So the first thing that you do is ask a question. Where do we first see this individual with the bag? Doesn't It's not a complicated question. Um, it's not that difficult to figure it out uh, look I'm not Jack Webb dragnet so see I'm going back a, a few years wow. <laughs> some of y'all don't know about dragnet uh, you know it doesn't take much to figure it out so the first camera should have picked up the first person with that bag or bags. First person. And so they're trying, to, they're trying to put it off to the side and say, well, it was in the visitor's section, so anybody could have brought that bag. Okay, so anybody could have brought that bag, but that first camera picked up who brought the bag in. And, and so... We're living in dangerous times where uh, lawlessness is, isn't even investigated anymore. Where it is very easy to figure out, put, put two and two together and come to the conclusion that this individual committed the crime. And they know who it is. You know, for them to say, I don't know who it is, and there's the first camera with the first person with that bag, for them to say that is disingenuous let alone lying. So we're living in, in perilous, dangerous times. So dangerous 
I'll give you another for instance. There was, and I shared this a few weeks ago, there was a man that, that came to a homosexual sodomite uh, celebration in my home state, Pennsylvania, Scranton, I believe it was Scranton, uh, or, or, or a neighboring city, big town city, whatever. And he came and started preaching the gospel and the police officer arrested him. Now mind you, he didn't attack anybody. He didn't threaten uh, verbally with violence. All he was doing was standing there preaching the gospel. And the moment he opened up his mouth, the police arrested him for simply preaching the word of God. Dangerous times we're living in. In our morning session, we talked about Matthew chapter 16 uh, in verse 18, where it says that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Um, which shows that, you know, at one time when when I was teaching it, I was teaching it from the perspective that that we're inside the gates and, and Satan's not supposed to, you know, prevail against the church. But no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And if you know anything about gates, gates, first of all, is stationary. Second of all, when they, when you're trying to break into the gates, it's the enemy on the other side of the gate that you're trying to get to. And so how many of you have ever seen movies in, in which someone was trying to break into a house and so they would put the dresser drawer in front of the door, they would put all sorts of obstacles in front of the door to prevent them from coming in. And that's what Satan is doing now. Satan is putting all kind of obstacles in front of, in, 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 uh, at, the, at the doors, at the gates to prevent the church from getting inside. Uh, for instance, there was on YouTube an um, uh, uh, individual that went into the homosexual sodomite churches to, to uh, ask them questions about the gospel that they were preaching. And, of course, they were preaching a false gospel because you can't call yourself a Christian and be a homosexual at the same time. Just like you can't be a Christian and watch pornography at the same time. Just like you can't be a pastor and lusting after women flesh at the same time. You can't, you can't do, you can't be a liar and call yourself a Christian at the same time. You can't murder somebody and call yourself a Christian at the same time. You can't steal and call yourself a Christian at the same time. So he went inside and started questioning them about their, their, their uh, approach to Christ and his word and they couldn't. They couldn't respond correctly with scripture because when you're in sin, you cannot answer correctly with scripture. You just can't do it. You're disqualified. And so they, 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 you got to get out, you get out, get out. Wait a minute. He's trying to help y'all out here. Y'all, y'all claim to know God. Y'all claim to know Christ. Well, I'm just here to give you the word. In other words, just paraphrasing what he's saying, just, just to give you the word because you can't do homosexuality and call yourself a Christian. You can't do adultery and call yourself a Christian. You can't do fornication and call yourself a Christian. The Bible says in the book of uh, Romans chapter six and verse one, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And then verse, the next verse says, verse two says, how shall we continue therein? How shall we, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? You see, if you're alive unto God and dead to sin, you have no business with sin. Now, a whole lot of people will argue, well, God didn't call us to be perfect. That's right. We'll never be perfect in this life. But he called us to obedience. Yes. And that's the difference. Do we obey his word when he tells us not to? When he says, don't do this, do we obey the word? And so he, he was pushed and shoved out by an elderly white man. He assaulted him. I remember several years ago over in uh, Los Angeles, I was in uh, the California area with my wife and I and daughter, we went to California. And uh, um, I was asked to do uh, a session on, uh, you know, pastors and pornography. And uh, lo and behold, someone familiar came and sat in uh, in the session. His name was Ted Haggard. 
At one time, he was uh, the pastor of New Life Church, and he was on the of of the faith based uh, a program at the White House with George W. Bush. And then all of a sudden, he was caught in a sexual scandal where he was with a homosexual man with methamphetamines. And uh, so I started sharing about pornography, masturbation, and all of that. And, and uh, after the session, uh, he approached me. And it, it wasn't a repentant reproach, uh, approach. He literally assaulted me. He, but I didn't, I didn't respond back in kind. He, he slapped me very hard on my shoulder. But I didn't respond in kind. I just simply took a couple of steps back. And my friend, Pastor Roger Jamison, saw it. And Dr. Earl Johnson was told about it. And Roger said, hey, you got to tell, tell him about this. Because you, you just can't come in here and do this. So I know what it is to be assaulted by an individual that brings the conviction of the Word of God. We're living in dangerous times where if you begin to preach the Word of God, you will be assaulted. But the thing that really is frightening is that you expect to be assaulted by the world, but when somebody that is supposed to be in Christ comes and assaults you, you don't expect that. So the danger is in both places. The danger is out there in the world, and the danger is in the house of God. Because you will have people that will viciously disagree with the word of God that you're preaching and living in an attempt to do harm to you. So we're living in dangerous and perilous times. And, and I, I expect it. I expect it every time that I go out and preach the word of God when I go out on the streets almost every week. That somebody's going to come up and do some, something very vicious to me because of the truth of God's word. And, and Paul said it like this. All that live godly in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All that live godly will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, and just a little follow-up on Ted Haggard. So, he, he, of course, he got... Uh, um, you know, unceremoniously flagged uh, by mainstream media because now, now he he pretty much despised the gospel that we preach, and the world despises the same gospel that we preach because now someone that claims to be of a gospel preacher is now found to be uh, in homosexual sin, married man with a woman, and committing homosexuality and 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 using meth methamphetamines. And, that's ha and that happens on occasion. You know, sometimes when, when men are in sexual immorality, as far, especially with, with homosexuality is concerned, they marry a woman to cover their tracks. They want to play both sides of the fence being bisexual. They, they, they hide their true tendencies behind their marriage. So the update on that is that he has, uh, has not come clean. He's still in sin. And even to this very day, there are, there are reports of individuals that he abused sexually. There's still uh, reports coming in along those lines. So uh, he's in a world of hurt, and, and I pray that he sees the error of his ways, repent and place faith in Christ alone, and abstain from sin. So we're living in perilous times. And these perilous times are the things that Paul is describing now. Verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves. You see, and that's what, that's what the sexual world is about. It is always men loving themselves. It's not about the person that, that you're supposed to be married to, that you're supposed to care for. But it's always about yourself. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. <laughs> Look, every, everybody have a problem with money. But you, don't, but you don't have to do crazy things to get money. You don't. You, 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 you do things legally and, and upfront and upright with money, but you'll have people that are lovers of money. Boasters, proud, like June, Pride Month. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So there's nothing proud about homosexuality. Nothing proud about adultery. There's nothing proud about fornication. There's nothing proud about pornography. There's nothing proud about lying. There's nothing proud about stealing. 
But men in their pride will continue to wax worse and worse. Blasphemers. What are blasphemers when they call God names? I was watching one individual. He had a sign about repentant, repent and believe on Christ. And he was standing there preaching the word of God. And so he yelled. So the preacher yelled to the man that was walking by him that you need to get saved. You need to get de delivered. So, so he, he gave that preacher the middle finger. While walking by. Here we are trying to trying to share the gospel so that way people can be saved, born again, set free from sin. And they give that preacher the middle finger. But he but he held it high in the air. And, and all I can all I can picture is when, you know, after Christ comes and the seven year tribulation period takes place, that there will be men that will blaspheme the name of God. Can't help but remember how the, all those all those times the judgment of God is coming and is in in in, 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 a, in for the purpose of getting them to repent and they blaspheme the name of God. It's like shaking their fist at God. Disobedient to parents. That's why uh, parents train your children. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he shall he shall not depart. From it, but you'll but you'll have children that are disobedient to parents. There was a disturbing uh, video that I saw because uh, a lot of the world and even some Christians are like saying we should never say that 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 the world is grooming our children. That's false. And so somebody put a picture up of a little child about four years old, between four and seven, in the middle of a of a of a pride parade street with the rainbow colors and whatnot, dancing as just a little kid, but showed that same individual 20 years later. This, 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 it, was, it was startling to me to see that what those parents were grooming their, child, their children to be, ultimately is what they became. And that's why as a parent, your responsibility is to protect your children. That is your number one responsibility. If you don't protect your child, the world will get a hold of that child and make them worse than what we ever seen before. You have, you have a responsibility to protect your children, but we have children that are disobedient to parents. Unthankful. You know in the Old Testament that if, if, if a child, this is not in the New Testament, and I'm not carrying over what should be done in the Old Testament into the New Testament, but looking at the children of Israel, the children of Israel were taught as a commandment of the Lord that if your children curse his father or, or mother, kill them. That's judgment. Hence the reason why the scripture says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. So if you wonder why certain people, not all, but certain people, not all, but certain people, you wonder why their years are short and they die off the scene quickly, perhaps they may have disrespected their parents. Wow. Teach your children to respect your parents. Teach them, train them, because that is your responsibility I mean, I, I thank God for, for my parents, my mother and my father, primarily my mother, because I tell you, I, 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 was, I was the one always getting in trouble, so I was the one getting, getting the most beatings. Yeah, I was a problem. I was a problem. I'll tell you a story about what my dad said in his latter years. Um, but, but my mom disciplined us. And she would all, I mean, even though she wasn't saved, but she knew the scripture. She would say, honor your father and your mother that the days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. And pow, 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 pow. <laughs> uh, she would use the scriptures, but she would use that switch, belt, uh, electric cord, <laughs> plastic bat, anything she could get her hands on. And so one day I sat across from my mother. I said, mama, thank you. Thank you for doing that because you didn't have to visit me in my grave. You didn't have to go to Rikers Island to visit me in prison. You didn't have to go to bring a plate of food while I live homeless on the streets. It's because of what you were doing that prevented me from those things. My dad later on after my mom passed and, 
and, and my dad was getting up in age, he said, he said to me, you, you, you boys that, that we raised, we, we, we thank God that we didn't have to take any of the money that we received to come, to come and bail you out of jail. I said, wow. He said, you, you guys were raised correctly and we just, we're just thankful that we never have to take any money that we worked so hard for to come and bail you out of jail. Not one of us. Train your children to be respectful to parents and do not let them get away with one disrespect because if you let them get away with one disrespect, the others are coming. Discipline them now. Because ultimately when they have children, if they, if they sowed seed in, in disrespecting parents, the children that they raise will disrespect them. It'll come full circle back on the child. Teach them now. A lot of people say, well, that's mean. You ought to give them latitude. Nope, don't even give them a cent. Don't even give them a centimeter, an inch. Chastise them on the spot. Don't let them get away with it. Because ultimately what tends to happen is that later on down the road, they're going to be involved in more wickedness than you can ever imagine. And that's what the world is banking on. They're banking on the parents bringing their children to the places of wickedness so that way they can indoctrinate them and instruct them on the ways of evil. And they're the generation that will come up and blaspheme the name of God. Don't let them get away with it. Stop them on the spot. And don't be sorry for it. You know, the, we, we used to hear that saying, it's going to hurt me more than it does you. No, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Oh, by the way, when you show disrespect to parents, no wonder we shouldn't be surprised when they show disrespect to God. Don't be surprised. Because if they don't obey parents, you know they won't obey God. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. You know what it means to be without self-control? You can't control yourself. When I look at certain videos about what's really going on in the inner cities like Kensington, uh, Pennsylvania, down in Philadelphia, Kensington section in Philadelphia, and, and Chicago, and, and, and uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and all, all, you see all this, and, and Vancouver, BC, British Columbia, you see all those people out there on the streets, strung out on drugs, and everybody was like saying, well, we should do something. We gotta, we gotta help them out somewhere. Yeah, I believe that we should. But you gotta look at the root of why they're there. You gotta look at the root why they're there. They have no control. Why? Because wherever they were raised, in most, most uh, families, single family, two family, whatever, in most places, they had no discipline, no self-control. You can always tell the ones that are with control and without, without self-control. You can always tell, it doesn't take much to, to figure it out. That's why, you know, in the church, you know, there's a problem with covetousness. Uh, they, they, they call it prosperity. And so what they do is that they run up their credit card bill and try to, try to, try to faith their way out of, out of the credit card bill. And then, and then God helps them out. God does. He, he does help them out. But see, if habits don't change, they return. You get more credit cards and you, you, you spend more money. No, no control. I'll never forget, I was preaching up in Harlem and, and, and you know, they wanted the, word from, wanted the word from God. And I said, I got a word from God for all you people that, that want to break, break out in your finances. And they, they all moved to the edge of their seat because they knew, they knew that they was going to get a nugget. They knew that something, something powerful was coming. And I said, and there's, there, then, then, then the Lord said, you people all here need the miracle of a budget. Everybody started going back in their seats. 
You need to discipline how you spend your money. Don't be believing God for a million dollars when you can't even manage twenty dollars. What you're trying to do is ask, ask God to bless you so you can get in trouble again. And that's covetousness. Remember what Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 12. He said this. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. See, that's, that's, that's self-discipline. That's self-control. You got to learn to control yourself. We have to learn to control our eyes, where our eyes go. Because we all the time want to see that flesh. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a handmaid. You got to make a covenant with your eyes and have self-control not to look at certain things. Everybody says, there's no, I see no problem going to the movies, but you know what the movies are doing? They're training you to see certain things. And they always show those movies with those sex scenes. They're always showing those movies with scantily clad men and women. And next thing you know, you got your juices flowing and you got to, you just got to let off some steam. No self-control. And we're wondering why. The world is out of control in terms of sexual immorality. And, and, and so it, it, it starts with the church. The church have to be self-controlled. And that's the whole idea of the gospel. Jesus said it like this in the book of John chapter 8. He said that he that commits sin is a slave to sin. Are, are you, when, when, when your urges and impulses rises up, do you obey it or do you crucify it? Do you obey it or do you crucify it? Because if you're a slave to sin, you're going to commit sin. And guess what? The, the sin is your master. You heard me right. The slave is your master. It's telling you how to live. It's telling you what to do. In fact, you, you, you schedule your life around that sin. You already got to figure out when you're going to do the next one and the next one. And the next one, without self-control. And it has infiltrated into the, into the body of believers. And then when you tell people about certain things, about how to be disciplined, how to have self-control, they don't want to hear you. They don't come back anymore. I'm not, I'm not done with, I'm, I'm done with y'all. I'm not coming back anymore. All because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And you got to understand something. The Father knows best. Because he know that if you go down that path of sin, it's going to take you further than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you're willing to stay. It's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. Sin never stops and say, that's enough. Sin says more, more. Sin is that carrot on the stick that the horse will never get. Our world is dark for a reason, and these are the end times, but we do not have to succumb to it. We don't have to yield to it. We can abstain from it because God gives us the power to do so. So, uh, disobedient parent, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. You know what it means to be despisers of good? It means that you despise that individual for living right. All he's doing is obeying the scriptures, but you despise them. You ridicule them. You mock them. All in hopes that they would stop living right and live wrong like you. And then the conviction goes away. But when you come back week after week after week, living holy, living sanctified lives, living lives that please the Lord, they'll despise you. Traitors, headstrong. You know what it is to be headstrong. That means nobody can tell you anything. That you're willing to fight to the death to keep what you want to keep that you know is wrong. Haughty, which is another aspect of pride or proud. Haughty, again, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit or a lifted up spirit before the fall. But notice that pride, destruction, haughty, fall. 
So if you're proud, you know you're going to get destroyed. If you're haughty, you know that you're going to fall. It's, it's inevitable. Love, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. What is a lover of God? It's not when you sing nice praise songs to him. It's not when you have those goosebump feelings of, of music that you know you feel you feel great in and, and it feels nice and, and pleasant and, and, and you just you just feel good. You feel the presence of God. But what is the love of God? Jesus said this as an answer and a response to a lawyer that asked Jesus a question. He said to him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus said it like this in the book of John, chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And we have this nice song, I am a friend of God. Some of you may have heard it. I am a friend of God. But what's missing is the requirement of being a friend of God. Or oh, if I have faith, I'm a friend of God. No, that's only a small part of it. Jesus said this in John chapter 15 and verse 14. He said this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Go to a, a, a first, first John, first John chapter five. First John chapter five. I'm not finished with Second Timothy chapter chapter uh, three. We'll get back to that in a moment. But look at this. In First uh, John chapter five, verse one. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, watch, and keep his commandments. See, we just want the love God part, but the commandments, nah, we don't want, to, we don't want that part. No, but see, if you're going to deal with the whole scriptures, let's, let's deal with the whole text. When we love God and keep his commandments. Now remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says that you are the salt. You are salt and then you are the light of the world. To be salt and light means that you, you love God and you keep his commandments. Now look at verse 3. For this is the love of God. Now he's going to show us what the love of God is. This is what he's going to show us what it means to love God. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. What does it mean to keep his commandments? It means to obey. For instance, when I've, I've used this illustration before and it's good to use it again. Those of you that drive... You're driving along a street, and all of a sudden you see a stop light or a stop sign. Now, if you have discipline, you know what that means. That means that you bring your car to a complete stop. Not roll. A complete stop, because the stop sign says stop. When you're rolling, you're not stopping. So when you come to that red sign, that red sign that says stop, you come to a complete stop. You come to a complete stop when you see a stop light. Well, the stop sign is the same as the stop light, except that the law allows you that after you stop, you may, and, the car, and there's no cars coming or pedestrians, you can continue after a complete stop. I've said that in order to say this. If his commandments tell you to abstain from fornication, that means to stop fornicating. You don't roll by the commandment because, oh, God ain't looking. You stop 
By using the stop sign illustration, it is proving to you that you have the ability to stop. You can stop lying. You can stop stealing. You can stop watching porn. You can stop all that stuff. You can stop allowing your eyes to drift and wander, to lust after someone sexually. It's, it's a proven fact that you can stop. What do you do when, when your, your stomach is full? You stop eating. You've proven that you can stop. So the proof of the love of God is when you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Remember what Jesus said in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 11 where it says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His commandments are not grievous or burdensome. It's not a hardship. Why? Because he knows what's best for your life. And he knows what the worst can happen when you continue in sin. Go back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 because we got... Uh, a little reading to do there. Look at verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people turn away. What is having a form of godliness? It is when, you know, it's just like when you're witnessing to people. You're witnessing to people, and they say, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I sing on the choir. Yeah, I usher. Yeah, I'm a deacon. Yeah, I'm a pastor. All of those things are nice to do, but if you're living an ungodly life, then all of those nice things that you're doing is just a form. Because you're masquerading yourself from who you really are. You see, it is what you practice that reveals who you are. You can put on a nice suit, a nice dress, carry the biggest Bible in the world under your armpit, sing in the biggest choir in the world, but God can see your heart. He knows exactly who you are and what you do. He knows that you're going to play the hypocrite and you have a form of godliness. You look religious. You look like you know God. But see, God is after more than that. He wants you to know him. And to know him is to know his word. And to know his word is to obey his word. Every single day, sunrise to sunset, every sweep of the second hand that goes around the clock, Isaiah said it like this, that you shall keep him in perfect peace if they keep your mind, if they keep their mind stayed on him. You can keep your mind stayed on God. You can keep your mind stayed on God. If you keep your mind stayed on God, you get peace, peace. You get peace from God. But see, when you take your mind off God and start entertaining sin, because all man's sin is always in thought, word or deed having a form of godliness I don't want people to say oh you go to church don't you and that's all they say about you but when you start talking and communicating to them the gospel about sins all of a sudden you got enemies they don't want to hear about that you see the, the true godliness is the one that is the ones that obey the scriptures you see if you're going to be salt and light you can only be salt and light when you do his word correctly you're not masquerading you're not deceiving anybody everybody know who you are and who you represent that when you come they know that you are serious about your relationship with God you can always tell the ones that are not serious about their relationship with God. You can always tell. Just listen to them. As soon as they start talking, most of them have no word. 
They don't talk about the things of the Lord. They talk about that last baseball game that they saw or that last football game or that last movie that they saw. Nothing wrong with those things, but you are aware of where they're living by what people say, think. Well, you don't know what they're thinking, but God does. So you will know, by, you will know them by what they say and what they do. And that's why Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. In James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, be not deceived, be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You are to be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So what happens? What, what does Paul continue to say? He says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. How do they deny its power? They deny its power in their thought, their actions, and their words. That's how they deny the power. Whatever they are doing, that is going to reveal who they are. So they deny the power of godliness. In other words, godliness is not really at work in you. You may be doing godly things, but it's not affecting your life to where you're living the word of God. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Whom God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the results of grace and faith in Christ is when you're doing good works. Now, you don't do good works to get saved. You do good works because you're saved. It's expected for you that when you're flipping channels and something ungodly comes, it's natural for you to turn it off or turn to another channel. Not to sit there and go googly eye and watch. You see, Jesus said it like this in the book of Matthew, chapter, uh, chapter 7 and verse 13. It says, enter by the straight gate, for broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life. And few will find it. Being a Christian is difficult. Being a child of God is tight. It will require you, your life. Yes, your life. Because Jesus said it like this, that, you know, when it comes to your life, you gotta, if you say that I'm a follower of Christ, you have to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him. So Paul, we're going to get to that scripture in a moment because I, I, I got to show that to you. But notice what Paul said in verse 5 again. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. Now it didn't say that you ought to hate people. It didn't say that you ought to do harm to people. But when people are trying to get you to trip up in your life, turn from them. Tell them I love you. Wish the best for you. But you're trying to turn my life back into sin again. And I can't stay with you. You see, one of the things that you have to understand is, I can't stay with you. I got to go. Your baggage cannot become my bondage. Your baggage of sin cannot be my bondage. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We saw, we saw this in verse, uh, I, I quoted that scripture from verse uh, 13. Uh, so I want you to see this so that way you can go back to it and have a, a solid reference for yourself. And so Jesus said this, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So what would I rather have, an easy way of sin to lead to destruction, or a difficult way that leads to life? 
Give me the difficult. Give me the difficult. Go to the book of Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. This is, this is a lesson that, that we, we, we need to incorporate in our lives. Look at verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. When he, called, when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, you have people that want to deny godliness, but for the righteous, you got to learn to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? I'll tell you how, what it means to deny yourself. Very good illustration. You go into the refrigerator and you see that nice, you see that nice, <laughs> I'm gonna hit something that I love very much. You, you, you're, you're gonna see that nice cheesecake. You're gonna see that nice cheesecake and, and you know that if you partake in that, that's going to put on a couple of pounds. Now, most of us would enter into a guilt phase and work out before we eat the cake. <laughs> so that way, whatever calories that we consume, it wouldn't be that bad. But you see, to deny yourself means that you are refusing the thing that you love the most. That's what it means. You are refusing to take the thing that you love the most. That's what it means to deny yourself. But see, it's not enough just to deny yourself as we see Jesus said in verse uh, 34. You got to now take up your cross. The cross is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of death. It is not something that you just put on your shoulder and just carry around and just carry around. Ultimately, you're going to stop somewhere and get placed on it. I like what Leonard Ravenhill had said one, at one time. He said, Jesus got up on his cross, now get up on yours. And that's where the problem is with most people. Most people don't want to crucify themselves because of the very sin that they love. So when you take up your cross, it's not just for you to carry, or carry it around. It's also for you to crucify yourself on it. And then you're allowed to follow him. So if you don't deny yourself and you don't have your cross to die on, you're not a follower of Christ. Now what, what did Jesus say in verse 35? Look at this in verse 35. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. When you try to save yourself from dying on the cross, to crucify yourself, you'll lose it. You'll lose your life. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Some, sometimes I will witness to people, and earlier, earlier in my time of witnessing to people, I would tell them that you don't have to give up anything. Just come as you are. No. I now tell them, you're going to have to give up everything. You know why you have to give up everything? Because Christ gave up everything. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and loses his own soul? Is it worth it? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Is the world worth it? And that's the thing that you have to begin to calculate and add up to see whether or not the things of the world is worth more than Christ. You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.